Hello and welcome to episode 255 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now joining me on today's episode is the film director, the amazing Marley Elfman. During today's interview, we get to sit down and talk all about casting, writing, directing, but the main focus is on her brand new film, one of the best sci-fi films that I've seen this year. It's called Next Exit and it's out now. If you have services like Amazon Video, Apple TV, Google Play, YouTube, you know the score by now, go and check it out. This film is amazing. The casting, the performances, I absolutely loved it. And honestly, you won't be let down. And that interview will be coming up in just a couple of minutes time. But you know the score by now. I always like to use the intro of the podcast just to touch base and talk about my last episode. And my God, this episode blew up. I was joined by Will, the guitarist from the absolutely amazing band Hell is for Heroes. This interview, as we're sitting here right now today, is at number seven in the whole of the Apple podcast charts. That blows my mind and I'm really thrilled to see just how well this interview is doing. A huge thank you to everyone that's tuned in and listened. I know Will was absolutely thrilled when I shared this news with him and it's just amazing. Hell is for Heroes have just come back off a tour supporting 100 Reasons and all of the feedback that I've seen online is absolutely amazing. So thank you and honestly I really hope we get to see them play again soon because they really are one of the best bands out there. And if you're sitting here and you haven't heard Hell is for Heroes, switch this podcast off and go and listen. They're that good. But just before I share that interview with Marley with you, I just want to say a massive thank you to the main sponsor of this podcast. Myself and Richard Sounds have signed an incredible sponsorship partnership deal, which allows this podcast to grow, reach out to hopefully some videos, do a lot more podcasts and basically take this to the next stage. So I just want to give a big shout out to Richard Sounds. And hey, if you're listening to this and you're in the need for a brand new TV, a stereo, some cool headphones, just hit richardsounds.com. Honestly, they're the best guys out there. So now I think all that's left to do is to get the interview with me and Marley. So here's me and Marley talking all things film. So Marley, thank you for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Yeah, pleasure to be here. What I like to do for anyone that's tuning in that might discover your work for the first time from today's interview is give them a bit of a taste and an insight to your background. So I like to take it right back to the very start. And if you could tell me when you were a kid, can you remember those first films that maybe you saw that just absolutely blew your mind or that made you fall in love with cinema? Yeah, uh, you know, I I actually tried to avoid cinema for a very long time. So I was not one that saw film and had to be in it. I was one that loved film and tried to avoid it, actually. Uh, And then it eventually sucked me in. I will say when I was very young, probably too young, I used to be obsessed with Jaws. Uh, And I would always, I was a tiny kid and I'd be like, I want to see the big fishy jump out of the water. And I loved that and I loved the shark and I was always really upset when they killed him every single time. Uh, I just really wanted the shark to win. Uh, And I think that's always been my perspective of one of the monsters. Uh, And I think that that's still kind of my perspective going forward. I think a little bit later, one of the earliest horror films that I saw that really resonated with me uh, was Poltergeist. Um, What an amazing film that is. It is. And, you know, one of the things I just went back, I, th- I feel like I rewatch it probably every five years, something like that, um, yeah. is the uh, is the the humor of it. 
is the trying to understand something that you don't understand and the different perspectives that go into that. And I think that that is very informative to something that is important to me now later as a filmmaker is I do like the horror and I do like the scares, but I also really like the conversation about how do we deal with things that we don't understand. I love that because Poltergeist for me, I'm 40 now. And when I was a kid, it was that film that my parents wouldn't let me watch as a kid. They're like, it's too frightening. You're going to get freaked out. You're not going to like it. There's certain scenes. And looking back, it has got that really good element of like a family film because you've got the Spielberg element there. You've got the horror. You've got really good dialogue. And it's just a perfect film. Like you can't fault it. But I can see why my parents were a bit dubious and a bit like, you shouldn't be watching that at eight years old, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, it scarred my brain and hopefully in a good way, I think. Uh, but yeah, that was one of the earliest films. And I wasn't really allowed to watch much TV. That was kind of a rule in my house. Um, but another thing that I just recently remembered as I was talking to my mom, uh, the thing that I watched on repeat when I was allowed was I Love Lucy. Um, and I, I watched, I didn't realize, I don't know if my parents did this intentionally, but a lot of female lead comedians. I was also got to watch Mae West films. And I, it is funny for me to look back at how far we came so long ago and then how we went backwards for so long and now are finally, I think, reemerging again. But it's just funny when, you know, this whole thing happened where women aren't funny and women aren't all these things. And it's like, actually, they were the OG funny. They were the ones leading the TV series. They were the ones leading the movie theaters. And so I think that that was probably very informative for me as well. Because you've done directing, writing, producing, and a whole mix of different things. um, Is there a certain way that you kind of thought as a kid? Were you like, I want to go down a certain road? Or were you kind of just wanting to be in the world of film? Or were you kind of specifically saying to yourself, I want to do a lot of producing or I want to do a lot of writing or was there a certain path you wanted to take over another? Um, I definitely never wanted to produce. I don't think I understood what producing was. I remember when I was a kid, my dad took me to my first like film set when I was eight. And uh, I remember asking like, what does that person do? And it's like, oh, that person is the production designer. They build up that person's props. And then I pointed to the producer and I said, what does that person do? And he went, he just like paused and he went everything. I was like, (laughs) Everything. That's interesting. Um, Because it's hard to describe what a producer does. But no, growing up, I actually, I really wanted to be a, I I used to ride horses and I actually trained and was a horseback riding trainer. I wanted to be a riding writer. So I really loved riding and I really loved writing. Uh, And so that was kind of my goal and going into college and I I studied writing. I didn't actually study film at all. Uh, Yeah. That's amazing. So at what point was it that you wanted to get, you know, behind the camera and then start trying to make magic and kind of be that that vision, you know, because it's it's a big step. And, you know, with with the family, I'm sure sometimes you must feel and I, I said this to Joe Hill, Stephen King's son recently. I said, is it hard because you've kind of got that foundation of parents that instantly people are going to compare your work or kind of think that you I think you've got a disadvantage because you're kind of trying to prove a point, if that makes sense. I mean, yes and no. I mean, the there there's pros and cons. As yeah. there's, it's it's never 
I think that why I probably tried to avoid it for so long and why I have avoided people ask me if I play a musical instrument and I say I'll never answer that question and I never want anybody to hear me sing I never karaoke I sing in the shower and that's the only place <laughs> uh, but you know my dad has done that so well and I think in my my earlier years I I definitely had a chip on my shoulder and tried to avoid filmmaking and tried to go down my own path it wasn't until I got a little bit older that I I could look at my father's career and really respect it and really realize that, you know, this is jumping into the future, but like past couple of years, seeing him do the album, Big Mess, seeing him perform at Coachella, seeing him do all these, his violin concerto, his piano concerto, nobody's really asking him to do these things. He's just continuing to change and evolve as an artist because that's what's true to him. And I've been very inspired by that, that it's not about what others deem success because what the hell is success? I don't know, but what is what is he actually trying to achieve as an artist? And the reason why I also didn't want to go down the music path is if I did, I, I probably would want his path. Like, yeah. I, I, and you can't do that. You can't. I mean, nobody can do that being it the daughter of or not the daughter, like it, you can't repeat somebody. Whenever people try to look up, it's like, look for inspiration, but you have to go down your own path. There's gonna be different experiences. The movie business has entirely changed. Uh, so I think I, I used to have more of a chip on my shoulder and now I just have more of a respect for how he's done it and knowing that I've kind of started to do it my own way. Um, but I was actually a, a horseback riding trainer, believe it or not. I worked at a, a barn and one of my students was Missy Stabile, who is still a, a big time producer. Uh, and she came to me and she goes, you'd make a good producer. And I was like, eh, I don't know about that. You know, I'm, I'm going, I was at UCLA. I was writing, I was riding, I was kind of doing my dream. And she's like, come work for me. It was over the summer. And I was like, all right. So I went and I PA'd for her on the Ring 2, which was my first production job. And she, uh, I, I just had the best time learning from her and seeing her experience. And so I, I, it was great. I was horseback riding with her in the morning and then I was going to set all day. And I, a thing that really attracted me to filmmaking wasn't even so much the films, but being on set. That that energy for me was addictive that uh kind of chaotic experience of everybody doing all that they can and pointing in one direction and having a common goal i almost think if i didn't make films i'd be really good in the military or something like that like i i love putting a team together i love understanding what it is the needs of a director or project are and then figuring out how to accomplish those that's exciting for me. That's that was thrilling. And so that's actually where I started producing from is actually from that point on. Uh, and I didn't think I would direct for a long time. Uh, and that was another insecurity of mine uh, that took many, many years to overcome. It's interesting because I've been lucky enough to go on set for a few films and you don't realize if you're not involved in the industry, just how many different wheels and cogs are there to build this machine. And it really opened my eyes up to just how many people you rely on and how much creativity is in the air. And I, even just attending and speaking to some of the cast, had this buzz that when I left, I felt like no other job or nowhere else that I would ever go would feel the same way. And truly, two years later, I still haven't had that buzz that I got when I went on a film set because it's so many people wanting the same vision and trying to achieve the best to create the best that they can. And 
you don't get that in other environments it's it's unbelievable yeah and people who really believe and and not on all projects but i i do i you know one of the things that i i really try to do is find the right people for the right projects at the right time uh that really want to be there and when you do that you do get that magical experience and you know next exit was that experience for us uh also being shot in the middle of a pandemic before we had all of the rules and regulations down and everything else uh and but honestly a lot of the film productions that I've been on have been like that and that's that is the side of producing that I genuinely love is finding the right personalities to put together into this pot and then you stir it up with all this chaos and all this heat and you create something that you you know hopefully imagined but even more so did, did you feel like a huge pressure when you were going into this because this is your first kind of taste of directing sci-fi and I suppose when you're looking with the people that you're working with and this production crew and the cast was there a moment when you just thought to yourself I don't think I can do this <laughs> like this is so much pressure that I'm giving myself or was it just the I'm going to prove everybody that I can do this. I don't think either, actually. I think, I mean, for this one, it was always a character study for me. I think this is, you know, it's a road trip story about these two individuals with a sci-fi element and a little bit of a ghost twist, right? Um, but it was always about these individuals. It was always a very personal story to me. Um, I think because I've produced for so many first-time directors and uh, over the years, the thing that I know is anxiety about whether or not you're going to achieve does nothing for you. Yeah. So I really went into this being like, I wonder if I'll fail. Let's see. Like, there's only one way to find out. And I think having the freedom to know that I could fall on my face uh, allowed me to then not. Uh, allowed me to go into every single day. And I would go, I'd read, read my sides, I'd look at my script, know my intentions, and stick with the characters. This was a character-driven film, stay with the characters, stay with Rahul and Katie. And I really honestly just got lost with them in the story and had an amazing time. So it, it actually, I think there was a moment the day before we left, when we were about to fly out, and Katie was staying at my house, and we were going to drive to the airport, because this is like, you couldn't take an Uber, you couldn't do any of this type of stuff because of COVID at the time. So it's like a huge ordeal of how to get to the airport was like step number one um, and staying in this pod. And so I don't know. I, I did think, oh, my God, it's actually going to happen. Uh, and then every single day I, I kept being afraid that we were going to get shut down for COVID. Like at that point, like if we, if anybody would have gotten COVID, I don't know that we would have been able to finish the movie. So every single morning we would test and every single day I'd be terrified that somebody would end up positive. And then when everybody was negative, I was just like another gift. And I just was took, took on that day. And then I waited till the next day and I felt that anxiety. And then I just kept going one day at a time. And I tried to just remember this is, this is the dream. This is what I want. And then just stay in that headspace. You mentioned Rahul and I think, and I, I'm only judging by him on social media. I've never met him, but he seems to be the most lovely, kindest, amazing person. I, I generally look up to him like he's a little superhero for me. And the way I judge him on Twitter and the way he is acting in Midnight Mass and the Midnight Club and all this, and especially, you know, the, the future for him, I think is massive. And I think he's kind of like a little gem that I think more people will start to discover his work and really appreciate just how gifted he is. I love Rahul. Uh, I, I went out to no other actors he he can I don't know if you're going to be interviewing him as well but I kind of stalked him 
I uh, want him, but I've never reached out, but he's on my list because I just, I have so much respect for him. He is wonderful. And I, I saw him a while, I saw him first in iZombie and I thought he was so charming. He's so charismatic. His sense of timing is so wonderful. Um, and then when I saw him in Bly Manor deliver that monologue, I was like, holy fuck. Sorry. Am I yeah. You can say fuck, shit, whatever you want. <laughs> Sorry. I never know. That's the good thing about this podcast. You can say fuck <laughs> and I enjoy it. Right. I Fantastic. I'm going to let myself loose a little bit more. But uh, no, I, I saw him on that and I was just like, oh, he can handle the depths of something. Uh, he can go there. And I, I just hadn't seen that from him before. And so when we were going to cast this, I really wanted him in this role. I thought he would be perfect. And so, you know, I've worked with Mike Flanagan before. So I reached out to Mike, who was in the middle of shooting the finale of Midnight Mass. And I asked him, I said, do you think he would do this? And he goes, yeah, but we are pretty busy right now. Yeah, and not I today. Out, <laughs> yeah. I reached out to Rose McIver, who was like, he would be perfect for this. And I, who was a big champion of this film for a long time. And, uh, and then I reached out to his agent and it was getting down to, we were shooting this in January and it was December. And we really like needed an answer and everybody was pushing me to move on. And I was like, he's perfect. He's just, he is the role and I know it and I see it. And then all of a sudden he, you know, I guess he finished shooting and he immediately read the script and he showed up, uh, we got to Zoom and he's like, so you've been trying to get a hold of me. And I was like, yes. And he goes, I'm in. And it was just that simple. And then we talked about the character and we, we got into it. And what was amazing for me is he understood the the depths, the levels, the hidden things that I had put in there for Teddy. Like we immediately got to dive deep into the script. And uh, and it was scary because I, you know, we had never worked together before. And I was asking him to like go on a road trip with a crew of 17. And I, I know that he's used to a little bit nicer, you know, shooting style than our rough indie films. And he was so game for it. Uh, and it was it was really wonderful. And he is you know, self-professed professed, uh, grumpy man. Uh, and he definitely is grumpy. He's always grumpy in the mornings. Don't make him shoot too early in the mornings. Does not if I like get him on the podcast, I'll make sure it's like an evening recording. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think he'd probably do very well. Um, but what was amazing to me is he just, he genuinely showed up. He was vulnerable. He was honest. He listened. Uh, both him and Katie, I, I thought would come in with more wanting to change the script or work things around. I mean, the, the monologue that he has outside of the bar later on, I remember being there on the day with him and feeling like, oh, we changed stuff or anything. And I went back in the edit and he says every single word. He says every single comma. Like he's so respectful to the words that have been written and the intentions behind it. And I, I've always just been so grateful for that because I think that, I think he was exactly what we needed in the film. I think that he understood it on a level that most actors would have had to work so hard to do. And instead it was just intrinsic for him. And it was really a wonderful experience. I, I will cast him any day that he will be willing to show up for my projects. And also Karen Gillan. I met her at the BAFTAs um, before lockdown. And again, just a lovely human being and really humble and down to earth and someone that I would love to speak to because I just, I just didn't get any arrogance. I didn't get any oh, yeah. sort of, I'm a celebrity. It was just, you know, just really down to earth and just a dream person to speak to. Yeah. I mean, I've worked with Karen for years uh, and I think we still work together in little ways, uh, but also have just genuinely become friends. Uh, Karen is, uh, 
again, just one of the most honest and open people that you're going to work with. I don't know. I mean, when you call her a celebrity, I think she laughs and she's like, okay, whatever. And she just <laughs> keeps working. You know, I don't, Karen wants to work. She wants to do good work. And she consistently keeps trying to once again, break the mold as all artists that I really love kind of do. And so, you know, I think she's, I think she's done playing blue for a while, which is great. Yeah. So now she can go and, and, the thing that I'm very excited for her is, is seeing more of the dramatic side of Karen because, you know, we did the parties just beginning together and she was so amazing in that. And I, yeah, I'm very excited for what she does next. With Next Exit out there now, finished, all done, wrapped up, what's your kind of vision now? Do you have this kind of tick list for yourself where you're like, because you're a massive fan of horror, are you like, I want to do another horror, I want to get back into the roots of that, I would love to try something new, maybe I'll test myself with comedy, or are you just kind of in that world where you're like, I'm not sure exactly at this moment where I want to go now? No, I want to make a horror film. This this was never, I never thought anybody would make this film. I had other films much more packaged, much more like ready to go and all the rest of it, and I had an investor read the script and fall in love with it and say, and that was Lindsay Helms of Helm Street. And she was like, oh, you know, I'd love to make this. Let's go. And it was in the middle of the pandemic when nothing was happening. And I was like, let's do it. This is kind of oddly a road trip film became the easier film to make happen in the middle of a pandemic. Because uh, yeah. we could isolate. Nobody had to go home to their families, all the rest of that. Uh, but I love genre. I love horror. And I would love to actually dive into it. I would love to make kind of more of my poltergeist type of film uh, and and really kind of hit some of those a little bit harder. So that's definitely the direction that I would like to go next. Uh, and still, you know, my own version of it. I think that that's always going to be the way that I go. But I've been hopefully, hopefully, you know, I after this, I went back and I produced another film. Uh, and now I'm going back to directing again. Uh, and I love both things equally for different reasons. I, but I'm very excited to direct again. And yeah, can't wait for that one. Is there, kind of, is there kind of anything you've learned from the last shoot that you'd now change going into the next thing that was a, a massive learning curve for you? I'm not saying it has to be a negative, it could be a positive, but is there something that you thought, I'll tell you what, next time around, I'm going to completely change this because it's just something that you know is, it hasn't worked or has worked well? Well, I mean, one of the things that did work very well is the being free to fail and following your heart and remembering your intentions at all times and not trying to micromanage in any way. So that's definitely something that it's easier to do on the smaller crews when you don't have uh, the amount of people that you'll have on bigger ones. But the one thing that I would really love, I got to a couple of days work with a full crew at the end. Uh, I really just, it, it is very nice to have all the people. It is very nice to not Seems like, like such a luxury. Yeah, I just want, <laughs> I mean, honestly, just to have a crew. Um, I think the other thing that I would love to have that we just didn't have budget or anything else for is just more time in post. Yeah. Um, it's just more time. It, and again, Ariel Marks, who did our score, did an amazing job. And I think she completed it in three weeks. And Brian Parker, who did our sound design, you know, we were mixing on the weekends and whenever we could. But, you know, I would love to have a dedicated timeline to actually complete the score and think about it and have, you know, not just be finishing a cue and moving, finishing a cue and moving and actually just having more time in post would really be the ideal. One thing I do, and this is my final question today, uh, what I do on the podcast, and I've done this now for over 248 episodes, is each guest that comes on, I ask them, and it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from, 
to pick a final piece of music that's played. So as our interviews all edited and out there for the world to listen to on the spot, and this is not going to be easy because I'm sure there's lots of songs that mean a lot to you or lots of pieces of music, but what would be a song by a band or a piece of music or from a film score that you absolutely adore that when I asked the question was the first one that came to your heart and soul? You know what? I, there was a song. Oh God, I have to find this very quickly. Uh, my library, my next exit playlist. I came up with the next, so just so you know, Nils Fromm is one of my like favorite uh, composers that I use to kind of listen to on the day. And so The Shooting by Nils Fromm is probably one of them. But The Night We Met by Lord uh, was a song that I had for temp music in the film for a while in the moment outside of the bar uh, and I loved it and if I if anybody would have granted it to me I would have got it so I think that that is probably the piece that has inspired me the most when I'm when I'm trying to get back into the headspace I'll put that on like that's my next exit song and so I'm going to say that usually now when I edit the podcast I'll listen to that track and then be like why the fuck have I slept on this and then listen to loads so I'm really yeah. excited now that this be something new for me um, so something new for me is always exciting yes that's great i'll also give a shout out to what was the other one? Oh, i get overwhelmed by dark rooms okay um, that's another new one that we discovered oh, i love it it's so good it's so good and again these are all just like things to quiet to settle down to and then let your mind kind of like start exploring Amazing. I really appreciate your time coming on the podcast today. Um, it's been an absolute dream having you on. And I really hope our paths cross again. And the industry, sometimes I realize, isn't as big as I thought. So I'm sure it will. And I'd welcome you anytime you'd like to come back and talk for longer. And, you know, there's so much I think we could talk about. But I'm really excited to see people's reactions to this film. I can't wait to see more reviews come through on Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb and everything. And I'd, I'm really excited to see where you go next. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for the time. So there it is. There's my interview with me and the amazing Marley Elfman. And as I said at the start of today's interview, this is a film that I urge you all to go and check out. It's called Next Exit, and I honestly know you won't be disappointed. And something that I love doing on this podcast is receiving emails, Facebook comments, tweets, or Instagram DMs of people that have gone and checked out a book or an album or a film because of this podcast. So please, Go and check out Next Exit and then let me know what you think. I really don't think there's anyone out there that won't enjoy this film. I really believe that Marley's vision and the way she's portrayed herself in this film, the directing is so good and she has a huge career ahead of her. And I'm so excited to see what she's going to do next. Also, if you've really enjoyed today's episode, I ask this on every episode, please share it. You do not understand the power of just hitting the retweet button or posting it on your Instagram or even on Facebook, just hitting that share button. Anyone that follows you might see this and think, oh, I'll check out that interview with Marley Elfman. The next thing they know, they subscribe to Mark and me, they jump on board, they're a fan, and that costs absolutely nothing. This podcast will always remain free. I'll never have it full of adverts, but I really need your support on sharing these episodes. It costs you absolutely nothing and goes a long, long way. Not only that, I do have a Patreon account, and on there, for each and every month, for as little as £1, that's it, you can support this podcast and I've recently launched The Lost Tapes which is an exclusive episode just for you guys that support me on Patreon. No one else gets to hear it, just you guys to say thank you for supporting me on the podcast. 
All the links I've just mentioned today are on markandme.com and all your support goes right back into the podcast. I don't get paid for this podcast and it's because I love doing it, but I want to take it further and I need that support to keep it going. I'll be back in only a few days time with another brand new episode. So until then, look after yourself, go and watch the film Next Exit, take care and I'll speak to you all very soon. Take me back